Hello, hello, and welcome to Stoner Chicks, the podcast for stoners by Stoner Chicks. I'm Kayla Teal. I'm Grace Penzel. I'm Phoebe Richards. And I'm Stephanie Thompson. And today we are joined by a very special guest. This guest, I'll tell you about him and it'll be a surprise, okay? They are <laughs> a cannabis journalist, media maker, one of the co-hosts of the Great Moments in Weed History podcast, the author of the book How to Smoke Pop Properly, and the first non-stoner chick to grace the Stoner Chicks podcast. Welcome to David Beanenstock. Oh, wow. What an honor. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, Bean, we, uh, Grace showed me your podcast about a year ago around when we were starting our own podcast after she and I both used you as our source for two separate segments <laughs> that we didn't discuss ahead of time on the same episode. I think this was in our second ever episode. So we became aware of you as we all entered the cannabis podcasting space. We were getting into cannabis history and obviously you came up as I would say a cannabis historian, which you don't have on your bio, but I've learned so much history from you at this point. I feel like you could put it there. Um, I'm, I'm getting increasingly comfortable with the term. We've, we've done about 60 history episodes, so listeners don't realize I have on a tweed jacket and an old school wooden <laughs> pipe in my mouth. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, you're the first male voice we've ever had on our mm-hmm. podcast, and I had a feeling it would be yours eventually. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I like to think I'm in touch with my inner stoner chick, so... Yeah. Oh, Yay. yeah. So I had a question, which I know that you have such an extensive smoking history. You've smoked in many places with many people. You've judged cannabis competitions. But do you have a certain strain that either is special to you in some way or that you could call your favorite strain? Well, my, my pat answer is, you know, my favorite strain is whatever you would like to share. Uh, <laughs> and I think that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun, fun joke, but I think it does get to a, a larger issue of like, you know, I, I try to stay in touch with my inner stoner chick and I also try to stay in touch with the younger version of myself who was always just happy to have anything to smoke, mm-hmm. you know, particularly where I grew up in a heavy prohibition state. And then the more accurate answer to that is Chemdog has a very special place in my heart. We actually just interviewed Chemdog himself for an episode of Great Moments in Weed History. But back when I was working at High Times, when it was an independent, cool publication and not what it is now. <laughs> Chem Dog would grace us with his presence in the office every once in a while. It was a very uh, big day on the calendar. And the combination of it just being incredibly high quality, fragrant, uplifting cannabis and also just associated with a time and place in my life that was very exciting and fun and you know, really my entrance into this culture. I always, I always smoked weed, you know, younger than I would say. Uh, <laughs> but it was getting that job at high times that really brought me into the culture around it. So, you know, anytime I smell or taste or get to inhale some chem dog, uh, that's always, always a treat. Oh, I love that. And I love how the history of chem dog is that chem dog himself smoked that weed and was like, this is the best shit. <laughs> I've ever had. 
and it's still being produced for us today. It's on my like to do list: is go buy some chem dog. <laughs> oh yeah, listen to that episode <laughs> uh, from from the Grateful Dead lot in 1993 to a dispensary in in Massachusetts today. Definitely a, a long, strange trip. If I if I if I can, but uh, you know, one with a happy ending. Oh yeah, and by the way, we are pro pun on this podcast, so <laughs> you're safe here with us. Let them fly. <laughs> Thank you. So I know that you've smoked obviously with tons of different people. You work for High Times. You've been all over the place. I was listening to your episode talking about judging recently at the Emerald Cup, right? Correct. Do you have kind of a favorite bigger name in stonerdom that you've had a sesh with? Or not favorite, maybe, because who knows who will listen to this. But do you have someone, uh, an experience of smoking with someone that's kind of high profile that was especially cool for you? Yeah, I mean, over over the years, you know, definitely like sort of been in a sesh with people who you might mm-hmm. imagine the Tommy Chongs of the world. And it's definitely a, the thing is, weed people who are famously weedy or famous people who love weed tend to be the cooler famous people you know so <laughs> they were all good experiences I, I you know a lot of them are just get to meet somebody maybe say hey i really dig what you do but i would say that the people who are you know maybe not the most famous but who i had the most fun with in all those experiences was if you've ever seen a show called the trailer park boys mm. yeah yeah <laughs> a little crude uh but so <laughs> much fun a lot of heart that show but I uh, actually went up to Canada where they filmed the show and got to party with those guys. It was this. It was the wrap for a season, so it was the last day of shooting for a season. Uh, my friend and I actually got to be uh, Greasy Stoner number one and Greasy Stoner number two <laughs> in a in an Perfect. establishing shot. But then, right <laughs> in this sort of three sixty trailer park set that they've created up there. They had this wild party. They were so fun and funny to hang out with. And it really was like, you know, we still keep in touch to this day. It was it was it was a real fun experience. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Do you have a bucket list pick of someone that you wish and hope you can smoke with? Like mine is Rihanna, as we have talked about (laughs) on the podcast, even though I have said I believe I would just take a hit and be too nervous to say a single word. But do you have Mm -hmm. anyone that would be your like dream person to have a sesh with? I've had the occasion to meet Willie Nelson, and he was super kind in that moment, but we weren't seshing by any stretch. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he's got so much cannabis weed history inside him. You know, he, he first got high back in the 50s, um, and he's been such an icon musically. He is, I think, the last person in America that we all like. him Him and dolly parton Parton. (laughs) so the cannabis breeder in me says if we could get a willie nelson dolly parton cross (laughs) uh, wn times dp would would maybe be the 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 strain that can can save us but yeah you know willie is willie is the man and you have an episode on the story of him smoking weed on the roof of the White House, right? Is that a whole episode about that? That was actually our first episode. Oh, wow. uh, that, that we what were... a way to start. Yeah. Well, what a moment. 
you know, a lot of great moments. Sometimes it's really just a story. And as you know, it does seem like you like the show and listen, like sometimes those great moments are about overcoming something really difficult, you know, prohibition, prison, being shot by the police. All that happened to Dennis Perone as as one example. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we really wanted to lean into the great moments thing. Obviously, like I said, Willie Nelson, everybody seems to love. And, you know, just this single moment of being on the roof of the White House. I honestly, I hate to say it, but I think that was the moment America peaked. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) It certainly hasn't been uphill since then. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, So yeah, speaking of, you know, great moments in weed history, uh, your book, How to Smoke Pot Properly, dives not only into how to smoke properly, but the history of weed. And I'm just wondering if in the process of writing that book and kind of digging way back, you found anything that really sort of shocked you or surprised you. You know, I feel like we're as stoners, we're always sort of optimistic that there might be cool things. But was there something that like totally blew you out of the water? Well, I think, you know, the first thing I like to mention is the title is definitely a joke, you know, as long as smoke or edible, as long as it's getting into you and not too much and not too little you're definitely doing it right it's more the idea of like how can you get the most out of your relationship with this plant and this community around it um and really it's all about things that I learned through the process of being a reporter. And probably the biggest, it's not a single discovery, but like what makes this so fascinating to me after doing it for quite a long time is when you report about cannabis, you're really reporting about everything from the criminal justice system to botany, to medicine, to art and culture, to political activism, you know, it it intersects with so many different things. So like, my understanding of how the human body functions is Mm. almost entirely learned through understanding how cannabis affects the human body. My understanding of the so-called criminal justice system in this country is completely informed by reporting on so you know before weed reporting was like going to infuse dinners and (laughs) But in breakfasts, it, uh, for me, my beat as a journalist was writing about the worst things that were happening to people because of growing or sharing or selling or consuming this plant. So that has been totally how I view the world. Even going before it was my job, just as a young person, I had profound, profound to me experiences with this plant that changed my consciousness and my perception of the world. And to simultaneously realize that something that was so beneficial for me, and as I would later learn, so beneficial for so many people, was also the tool of oppression by the authorities, this illegitimate, oppressive war on people disproportionately marginalized people, people of color, people with less money, younger people, like that has never left me, you know? Mm. And we, as much as we like just put an episode out called We Judged a Weed Contest, (laughs) you know, we really don't forget that half of the country and most of the world still lives in the old paradigm. You know, this bullshit continues to go on. So. It's like so much to hold 
at once, but it's also why it never gets boring. Mm -hmm. And as we look to the future, you know, we all want those incarcerated to be released. We want the plant to be decriminalized. But your two episodes ago, your title was Don't Trust the Authorities That Outlawed Weed to Justly Regulate It, which is frightening to think about. Are, do you feel optimistic? Do you feel worried about the future of cannabis culture? Um, well, I got to say that title is as a, is a saying of my co-host, Abdullah Saeed, who mm-hmm. you may know from hosting Bong Appetit, which is uh, where we met. And, you know, it's a case of it being the best of times and the worst of times. Like, mm-hmm. on the one hand, the biggest social justice gain that we can make is to no longer arrest people. Um, that is the worst outcome. That is was happening to 750,000 just Americans a year. That number is coming down and down as more and more states legalize. So where we might have a lot of frustration with how the legal market is regulated, we always have to start with the fact that much fewer people are having their lives torn apart and many more people feel comfortable to try cannabis medicinally or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like living in a world where people who are going through chemotherapy are afraid to access cannabis, you know, that's just horrific. So every step towards legalization does those two completely vital things. In terms of like my favorite thing, cannabis, and one of my least favorite things, capitalism. Converging, <laughs> yeah. You know, I never had illusions about how that was going to go, but mm-hmm. it's also the future is unwritten. So, like when we have these series of fights, the fight just to legalize was considered laughably impossible. Why are mm-hmm. you wasting your time working on this? That's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. And now you'll hear from the same people, why are you working on that? It's inevitable. So (laughs) we have to take that same mindset to the battle for a just and equitable cannabis industry, a just and equitable cannabis culture. There's the economic fight, but there's also this idea, okay, cannabis culture is expanding and that's great. More and more people are coming in. but. We need to teach them our values. We need to bring them into our world of inclusiveness, of healthy distrust of authority without losing your fucking mind about it. Um, You know, our world of sharing, our world of understanding what plant medicine is and respecting it and not sort of allow people just because they have a lot of market share or they have a lot of clout to come in and impose their values on us to bring in from the outside the things that we've always, frankly, been against. And, you know, to have gone through all of this government oppression, I mean, we're talking about people getting their doors kicked down in the middle of the night. Like, I don't use that word lightly. Mm -hmm. We are an oppressed culture and have been. Like, That shit's as real as it gets. Black fucking helicopters in Humboldt County. Like, that shit all is oppression. There's no other word for it. So we can't turn around and just say, well, 
now because where I live, the laws have changed. So I guess the underpinning of society is fine. It's not. No. You know, a government that can maintain a hundred year war against a beneficial plant is just wrong in and of itself, but also pretty clear sign that that the red lights are flashing, that like the good people are not in charge, you know, and and that, you know, we need systematic change. And and we can't just say, well, now we're going to be like McDonald's and Coca-Cola culture. No, we get we're going to be plant culture, we're going to be weed culture, and we're going to maintain that view of the establishment. Love that. And on that note, we're going to take a smoke break. And when we come back, we'll still be here with David Beanenstock. <laughs> and you'll be freshly off a smoke break. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Right, gals and Bean, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Ooh, I got is that the new name of this podcast? Stoner yeah. Gals and Bean. I love Stoner it. Stoner Gals <laughs> and Bean. <laughs> that sounds like it's about something else. <laughs> <laughs> the adventures of Welcome back, Stoners. We're here still with David Bean in stock. We're token up right now to what Bean just said. I'll smoke to that. Hallelujah. Cheers. Hey, I have a question for you, Bean. I was wondering, out of all your research and reporting and stuff you've done, who would be your favorite stoner chick of history? Mm. I would say... I have, we did an episode about someone named Brownie Mary. Um, And I would just say she's an incredibly inspirational figure. I can't do the whole story justice, but... In essence, she was somebody who lived in the... She was a self-described little old lady who lived in the Castro, the predominantly gay area of San Francisco, and was selling her magically delicious weed brownies when the AIDS crisis started. And she, in essence, baked thousands and thousands of brownies to supply people in the earliest days of that health crisis who had such an improved quality of life, and particularly in the period before the sort of modern drug cocktails were invented, helped keep a lot of people alive through that and certainly gave them the best possible quality of life in that era. She was getting donations from weed growers all over the Bay Area and from Northern California. She was arrested multiple times. She was a huge part of first local movements in San Francisco to create medical cannabis laws, and then a part of the campaign for Prop 215, which made California the first state to legalize medical cannabis. So somebody who, on the ground, had this incredible one-to-one effect with Mm -hmm. all of these people who were suffering, and she was able to help alleviate their suffering and visit with them in the hospital, just basically making brownies and bringing them to people and bringing joy into people's lives at this very, very difficult time, but also was able to extend outward and use her own arrests. The notoriety that came from her arrests, she used to funnel back into these campaigns to run these local 
and then statewide voter initiatives. And so the effect of that, not just her, many, many other people. We have a separate episode about Dennis Perone, another incredible person who was part of that movement. You know, we live in the world that they created. I'm also would shout out our uh, episode about a group called Wham. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Valerie Corral, who is, you know, one of the co-founders of that organization is actually, you know, somebody that I've been close friends with in my life. What does WAM stand for? It stands for the woe mans with a slash between the <laughs> O and the M. <laughs> I, I have to say they, they definitely rebranded as WAM. Uh, but <laughs> the woe mans alliance for medical marijuana. Uh, <laughs> Cool. And then just like in in history, history, Josephine Baker seems like she'd be a pretty dope person to get blazed Aww. with. Uh, but <laughs> hell yeah, you know, I, I, I love that whole, you know, jazz era. We have another episode of the podcast about sort of all the weed smoking going on in the 20s and 30s and 40s among jazz musicians and how that influenced the culture. So many songs. Ella Fitzgerald has a song called uh, When I Get Low, I Get High. Yeah. Um, so, you I know, love that song. Good advice, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had an episode I just listened to about Maya Angelou and how she was a proponent for cannabis, too. I didn't know that at all. But in her second memoir, she has a whole she thoroughly describes her first experience with cannabis. Uh, I'll just uh, summarize your podcast back at you. Um, <laughs> I believe I believe it's called Pod Splaining, and I'm up for it. I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> Good. Uh, where she she met these lesbian sex workers in San Diego who brought her home for dinner, and they got her high, and she danced for them in their living room, and went on to say that she smokes twice a week, and it's kind of her own kind of self care therapy sesh with herself. Yeah. That's great. So much fucking good art just comes from this plant. It's true. Yeah, and she really credited it with helping her unwind the the trauma of her, you know, quite famously traumatic upbringing, which is all in her first memoir, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. But one of the best and most sort of revealing that that was only our second episode. So, you know, we were really learning as we went and, you know, had a very small audience at the time. But over the four years since we occasionally get emails, people find the older episodes and we get emails that are Maya Angelou is my favorite author. I smoke weed all the time. And I never heard this story. I never knew this about her. And it gets to this erasure of our history that goes on to this day. And now, instead of simply suppressing any positive information about cannabis, which is this sort of old propaganda paradigm, create false narrative about its harms and suppress all information about its benefits, now we're in this new paradigm where sort of our new corporate overlords want us to think that they invented weed and that nothing mm-hmm. came before it and that it was only legalized because we figured out we could make a bunch of money on it. Well, guess what, assholes? Uh, <laughs> those of us who grew and sell, sold and distributed this plant when it was legal also knew you could, you know, that was no fucking secret. It was the laws were changed because of mass civil disobedience, because of grassroots political activism. And so we can't have our history erased and we can't have our history rewritten. And so 
you know, I think the thing that really drew Abdullah and I to this particular idea for a podcast is wanting to preserve this history and really loving this history. It is a history of resistance with a happy ending. You know, we're actually winning. If every social justice movement had made as much progress in the last and I, and I'm not I'm not I'm saying I this is just the world I want to live in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Over the last 25 years, we would live in a paradise. You know what I mean? From where we've started with weed mm -hmm. to where we are, are now and where we're heading, that amount of progress, I can't think of another social justice issue that has seen that. And so we need to celebrate that history, understand that history, and take lessons from that history as we work on these other really big problems that we have. Mm -hmm. And even on a granular level of like social media, you talk about the good and the benefits of cannabis being silenced, like TikTok and Instagram taking down people left and right. You know, we can't advertise our podcasts on the most famous social media mm -hmm. platforms, constantly being scrutinized and getting our shit taken down. My favorite cannabis scientist on social media just had her Instagram deleted today. She's not <gasps> there anymore. Um, oh. Hopefully she gets it back. But all she's doing is just talking about the plant on a molecular level and giving the facts of what the science is. And they're on her ass just even for that in 2022. We just recently had an episode with the founder of uh, something called WeedTube, and he was a YouTuber talking about weed. He had a channel called The Gay Stoner. He, mm -hmm. you know, was, as he described it, I, he quit his, you know, regular job job because he was able to do that. And then they, they took his channel away from him. And so he started this alternative called The WeedTube. We're, we're all in that same boat. You know, we are definitely... I'm a bit of a conspiracy guy, but that's gotten a really bad rap. But like, we know we're we know we're shadow banned. You know, we know yeah. that mm -hmm. our posts are throttled. And it's like, yeah, as you say, you know, we're a history show, essentially. Although, obviously, I talk a lot of shit about the government and big tech. So, <laughs> so. Us too. Us and too. shouldn't we all? <laughs> I was thinking just because you're so impassioned about this movement, I know that I have awareness of certain organizations, Last Prisoner Project, different things like this. Besides, you know, being vocal and, you know, trying to help others, I guess, where would you say maybe shout out a couple names of places that our listeners could get started getting involved? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that opportunity. I, I would say for younger people, um, and whether you're enrolled in college or not, there's a group called Students for Sensible Drug Policy that does excellent work that has been at this for 15 years, I think, that is on hundreds of college campuses uh, in the US and they have groups overseas as well. That is a great one. Normal is sort of the old school group that is really focused on this issue. Look where you are. There's so mm -hmm. much going on. So I, I think that the biggest point is like, if you feel that fire in the belly, whether maybe cannabis helped your aunt through chemotherapy or your nephew got arrested or it happened to you and you feel that you want to fight back, the good news is you're going to meet really cool people. And the best thing you can do is look in your own community at who's doing this work 
who's doing it effectively, who feels like a good fit for you, because there's, you know, there's going to be groups focused more from a business perspective. There's going to be groups from a criminal justice perspective. There's going to be groups who say, we want to make culture around this. Um, Those are all parts of this movement. And you, you know, might feel more affinity to one or the other. So look locally. And then it's tempting in this modern world to feel like, oh, I'm going to put it online. And it's like, as a person who puts it online, you know, who's <laughs> made media, it's like, if that's your passion, then go for that. But if that's not your passion or the skill sets that you're developing, find people already doing the work and join in with them and you will plug into a cool group of people. You will have your efforts amplified because you won't have to figure everything out for yourself and you'll be tapped into a lot of resources that you can learn from. There's some great educational schools all over the country. There's also some scammy ones, you know, Mm -hmm. not unlike college, college. So, (laughs) you know, I'm not blanket recommending it, but if you happen to live somewhere where there's a quality educational program around cannabis um, and they're not charging you an undue amount of money, that can be a really cool option. I think for a lot of people... If you're looking for an entry-level job, if there's not a cannabis industry where you live now, you can start getting prepared for the day that there will be and be ahead of that curve. And if there is, there's entry-level jobs. And also, if you happen to be an accountant and you fucking hate the people you work for (laughs) and you think it's all a fraud, you can still take those same skills. There's a lot of skills that you can bring with you. And if you truly have the love of the plant by joining the industry, you will only make it better. A lot of people are coming in and of course, just simply looking for a way to make money. Or, you know, maybe they like to get high, but they don't really have good values around it, blah, blah, blah. But if you are like, how do I make this better? That's another way, you know, and it can really be You know, I've had a lot of weed jobs and they were all better than any non-weed job I ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Well, thanks, Bean. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you, plug anything you want? Oh, thank you. Well, on this episode of this wonderful podcast, (laughs) but but I guess you figured that out already. No, um, (laughs) please uh, check out Great Moments in Weed History. We have, like I said, over 60 different episodes. So they're all history stories. So you can scroll through and find somebody that you're particularly interested in. You know, episodes about Fela Kuti. We have episodes about Carl Sagan. You know, uh, getting to that point of it being such a diversity of things that intersect with weed and then i write a lot for leafly so i always like to shout them out they support my journalism and if you do either of those things uh i would greatly appreciate it i would highly suggest going to listen to great moments in weed history abdullah is also fantastic shout out abdullah and (laughs) they always you know roll up a joint and light up and you can feel like you're just hanging out and learning about some cool shit so thank you so much for being on the podcast yes this has just been an absolute delight oh well thank you so much for having me and congratulations on your show and how long have you been like how long it's been a while been about a year 
little yeah, over a, a year. Over a year. Excellent. Congratulations. Well, as somebody who knows what it takes to keep at it um, and put out a good quality show, I salute you and so glad to have your voices in this conversation and oh. uh Honored to be the first male plant ever let into the uh, <laughs> into the first garden. One. Big deal. <laughs> yeah. hey, Stephanie, will you tell our listeners where they can find us? Will you plug us? Yes, of course. You can find us at stonerchickspodcast.com. You can pretty much find any link you want. You can find our Twitter, which is at broccoli. No, gosh dang it. Mm-mm. Twitter is Stoner Chicks Podcast and TikTok is broccoli broads. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's great. Uh, Your alter egos. Well, we were weed queens. We certainly couldn't be stoner chicks. Uh, and yeah. then they banned the word O-U-I-D. Now we're broccoli. Uh, Ban that. Now we're broccoli. <laughs> TikTok. Uh, you can email us certainly at stonertrickspodcast at gmail.com. Please do with your high thoughts. I'd love to read them. And uh, send us any mail you want to our P.O. Box. 80586 Seattle, Washington 98108. And Phoebe's still waiting for more stickers. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And with that, um, Kayla, what do stoner chicks always say? Fucking light one up, roof of the White House. America peaked that day. Don't forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Smoke your weed. Smoke your weed.